Just a quick programming note before we get started. Today's episode includes a lot of interviews from FEMA's private sector partners, nonprofits, and philanthropy organizations talking about making America's infrastructure more resilient. FEMA does not endorse any non-governmental organizations, entities, or services. I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. For this episode, we spent some time at last week's 8th Annual Building Resilience Through Private-Public Partnership Conference in Washington, D.C., where hundreds of companies came together to network and learn about how businesses, nonprofits, and philanthropy can work more closely with government partners during emergency response and disaster recovery efforts. So we wanted to talk to a few of the many participants to hear what emergency managers from all sectors are talking about when they get together and where they're focused as we continue into hurricane season. Okay, so we're recording right here at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Washington, D.C. at the 8th Annual Building Resilience Through Private-Public Partnership Conference. There's more than 450 representatives from companies, nonprofits, and of course FEMA and other federal agencies. We thought we would ask a few to share their experiences from this conference, but also how private and public sectors can work together before, during, and after disasters. Our host for this conference, the Building Resilience uh, Through Private-Public Partnerships Conference, uh, Mark DeCourcy is the Senior Vice President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. Thanks so much for having us at this conference. Well, thank you to have me on this podcast. Uh, we're really excited about the conference. You know, this is our biggest ever. Uh, we have over 470 people registered to attend uh, from organizations as diverse as the largest companies in the country uh, to the smallest nonprofits. And also important are the government partners at FEMA, DHS, U.S. Northern Command, uh, and state and local emergency management officials. What do you hope that uh, all of these partners will get out of a conference like this? Well, since we've been doing this for over nine years, um, what we've found is that this is a great place, particularly as we, we position it in the middle of the summer, uh, for people to reacquaint themselves uh, across sectors and get ready for what is perhaps the largest risk in the United States for disaster, and that's hurricane season. Uh, so this is a great time for them to uh, swap out their business cards, talk about what their planning is, and most importantly, when they leave, continue the conversation about how they can work together. From the chamber perspective, uh, why has it been important for you to take such a lead role in partnering, partnering with FEMA to make this event a reality? Well, from the chamber perspective, we believe that business is part of the solution uh, across many different issues, disaster just being one of them that we're talking about today. Uh, companies have resources, uh, but they also have an interest in making sure that uh, their facilities, their employees, their customers are all uh, more resilient uh, against any kind of disaster. So for the chamber to step up and say, look, uh, this isn't a public-private partnership, perhaps a private-public partnership, and the focus should be on the private sector's role uh, on preparedness, on response and recovery, uh, it's really important for the companies to understand that and also start getting their heads around how they can help. Many have done tremendous work in the past, but certainly we want to engage more of the private sector in doing so. All right, so this is going to be a running question throughout all of our guests today. What, when you leave the conference today, what is your priority? To have a ninth annual uh, private-public partnership conference. Uh, again, th because this is the best ever, uh, most widely attended, and I think most impactful, uh, 
we want it not to end here, right? Uh, we don't do one and done conversations anymore at the chamber. I mean, this is a 365 day conversation. Uh, and this is really important uh, as we kick into uh, perhaps, you know, the biggest threat season in disasters for a lot of the United States. Uh, in doing so, again, the private sector, we want them to know who the government partners are if they don't already, and who the nonprofit partners can be uh, to really be those boots in the ground uh, to help people who need it the most. John Anzalone from Airbnb. Um, Airbnb has a, an office specifically dedicated to disasters. Can you tell me about what you do in that office and what it's like? So our human program, we call it human short for humanitarian, encompasses three programs. One that focuses on disaster relief and response recovery, kind of the full cycle. We have a refugee program as well as a medical program. And that program, all three are designed to basically match those that are in need of short-term temporary accommodations with our amazing host community who offer that space for free. So 2017 and 18 hurricane season were massive in, you know, for a variety of different reasons, but specifically just the nature of all the sectors that had to come together to respond to and recover from those events. And Airbnb was certainly involved. Can you tell me about your experience during those storms? Crazy years. Um, Even before I came to Airbnb in my role, I was at Red Cross and stayed in Airbnb in, in Louisiana after the floods in 2017. Fast forward to 2018 when I joined, we had obviously a crazy hurricane season coupled with wildfires in California. And in instances like the California wildfires, we actually had 3,000 hosts that basically said, I want to offer my space for free. I want to help my community. Um, and that's just like one example of the hundreds of activations that we have throughout the year where hosts are trying to find a way to make somebody's worst day of their life just a little bit better. You know, obviously we're here at this conference where, you know, we're learning from each other. What conversations, in your opinion, need to take place to really deepen that private-public partnerships when it comes to disasters? I think part of it's just learning each other's languages. Um, Certainly for the private sector, it's learning a little bit more about how government operates. Um, Our amazing partners at FEMA trying to understand the incident command system, how the business emergency operations center works, and how to plug in. Um, And then really just like events like these, meet each other, build trust, the foundation of relationships. Um, And for the private sector, really just to understand the infrastructure in which local, state, territorial, federal governments work. Um, and to build those relationships well ahead of the disaster. So we're in the midst of hurricane season. What are you focused on right now? Relationship building. Uh, we're at the conference today, again, re-shaking hands, uh, introducing ourselves to new partners. Um, but most importantly, on our host side, with 6 million listings around the globe, um, not all of those are hurricane-prone, thank goodness. Uh, but we've, we even partnered with FEMA on June 1st of this year to send an emergency preparedness message to every single host within hurricane-prone states and territories in the U.S. to say, here's one way that you can be a better host be better prepared to protect yourself, as well as to remind them that if there is a hurricane, landfall or evacuation only, um, here's one way that you can help your community without thinking about things that people normally do, which is cleaning out their closets and sending stuff that nobody needs nor wants. All right, Jason Jackson, thank you um, for taking a minute with us. Uh, You're from one of the world's largest companies, Walmart. Um, you know, so when it comes to major disasters and major, major disruptive events, regardless of whether FEMA or the federal government is going to get, be involved, um, what's on the forefront of your mind as an emergency manager um, for such a huge company like Walmart? So number one is always our associates. 
Uh, and that's the first thing that comes to mind, what's the impact to our associates and their families. Um, and whether it's a, a power outage or it's a, a, a storm that blows through or it's a flood or it's a hurricane or uh, something larger, uh, they're always at the front of our minds. Um, past that, it's our operations and then the communities and understanding what the impact is to those uh, with whatever that given situation is. Uh, those are the three things that we focus people, on the most. Like people first. Always. Always people first. Um, you know, we're in the midst of hurricane season right now, but I want to go back to 2017 and 2018 hurricane seasons. Those were massive um, on a number of different scales. Uh, what was that experience like for you and for Walmart? Well, actually, all of the seasons, it feels like, in 2017 and 18 have been big. And whether it was hurricane seasons or it was wildfire season or winter storms or severe weather, uh, every season has been big in the last two years. And so uh, the frequency of events that we're dealing with has just been uh, enormous, especially with our footprint across the nation and around the world. Um, but 17 and 18 were really interesting. Um, again, first time we kind of ramped back up this peak of hurricane activity or tropical cyclone activity. Uh, and that was a, it was a, it was a big deal for us because as you deal with the first big one of 17 coming in, Harvey, that surprised us a little bit because uh, I think as everyone remembers, it was supposed to kind of go over towards Mexico and uh, keep heading west, but then they decided to come north and visit us along the coastline uh, and then do some really weird movements and come up to Houston and create a big you know flooding scenario. Um, that in and of itself um, was the start uh, for that, that one year. Um, a, a lot of cascading effects um, that were, were really important for us to pay attention to. Uh, and so I think for us, as, as we hadn't dealt with consecutive large hurricanes like this in, in quite a while, uh, it, was, it was important for us to kind of dust, out, dust off and remember what those uh, larger scale um, season level impacts are. So for example, uh, when you send in um, resources and supplies and teams and everything to support a very large population that's been hit by a large hurricane, and then all of a sudden you have another one with Hurricane Irma. Your resources are a little bit less, um, but then how you're responding to that and then only to respond to a third one in the season. And, of course, Nate was in there somewhere, um, but you had all these major um, these events that were um, com- continually diminishing the resources, so coming up with good solutions on how we're going to provide the same level of service to the population, both, both from an associate standpoint and also to the communities. So I want to also think about, I want to throw in there a hurricane that maybe some people aren't thinking about because we're kind of focused on the East Coast, but Hurricane Lane in Hawaii. How are you thinking about far off places sort of like that or logistically challenging uh, issues? So the the one uh, really good thing about 2017 is it gave us a lot of really good learnings. And so when you're dealing with an island uh, geography, um, against Puerto Rico is probably going to be the, the case study forever uh, in terms of what that means to access and communication and infrastructure impacts. Um, and as soon as that happened in 18 uh, with Hurricane Lane, Immediately, uh, those those recollections started coming back to. Now we're going to have to deal with this with the state of Hawaii and, and what are going to be the impacts. Um, so yes, the, the challenges in terms of logistics and, and how we lock down um, and everything has to be planned that much further in advance uh, on how you're sending things over sea or over air. Um, and so, trust me on that one, especially coming off of Hurricane Maria, uh, we were spinning up quite a bit, uh, ready to go support the state of Hawaii. So this is a really interesting. Con- Conference. There's just so many um, people that are peers uh, from the private sector with you. Uh, what advice are you giving them, uh, or what advice are you hoping to gain from this conference? 
Well, I mean, these conferences are always great um, because it's an opportunity for us to come back together when we don't see each other for a while. Um, sometimes it's the same players, uh, you know, the people that we've been working in the industry with for years. And when I say industry, the emergency management industry. Um, and and it's, it's good to, to see each other, shake hands, give each other a hug, uh, reminisce a little bit, um, and just continue to build those relationships. But there's also a lot of really new people uh, that are coming in. And so building those relationships, again, the, the, the day of the event is not the day to be exchanging business cards or cold calling people. Uh, it's long before that that you're establishing relationships. And so whether it's private sector to government, uh, private sector to NGO, or private sector to private sector, um, that this is an opportunity to shore up some of those things. Uh, but to the second part of your question there um, around, you know, what are we sharing? What are we encouraging? I think urgency um, is really the, the, the word of the day. Um, and how do we plan and prepare for now and, and for real time and not something that's far off in the future? Uh, we've had a pretty active couple years of natural disasters. Um, but, you know, how does this play out for other events? You know, a, a cybersecurity event or, um, you know, something else that impacts our nation. Um, and so how do we do those things and be very specific um, about what our steps are going to be as a total community in response to that? That's why these conferences are good. And I want to hold you up from getting back to it. Um, but, you know, now that we're in the midst of hurricane season, what's uh, top of mind right now? What's your priority when you go back from this conference? Mm, priorities always associates. Um, and, and it still is. Of course, uh, we had a very brief hurricane already with Barry, and we're just watching Tropical Depression 3, which I think is no longer existent out there. Um, you know, but we're constantly ad- identifying and, and assessing for um, anything that's occurring, how it's going to impact us. Um, but even still, I think that what I'm taking coming out of this conference and going back with is, uh, again, the, the, just the, the furtherance of how do we partner together? How do we drive a sense of urgency how do we continue with National Preparedness Month coming up? Um, how do we work with our Gov partners to uh, really drive this cultural preparedness message, even amongst our own workforce? Um, I mean, those are the type of things that are top of mind. All right, friend of the FEMA podcast, Matt Wambacher, um, from DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, long title, but really important mission. Uh, you know, Matt, Last time we spoke on the podcast, we talked about how the national response framework was going through an evolution. It was being updated. And part of that evolution is um, taking emergency support function 14 to uh, a new mission, a new purpose. Uh, And part of that purpose is engaging the private sector in a more holistic way. So can you tell me about what that means for the people in this room? So I think that it means that there's really a formalized place for private industry owners and operators uh, to have a seat at the table with the federal government as we talk about the disaster response operations. But it's not just that. It is in the planning. It is in the lead up to. Uh, so that constant coordination you hear so many people talk about is such a key factor uh, in being prepared for disaster response. We're doing that across the spectrum. So state, local, private sector, federal government. And so when we go into the execution phases, uh, it's really much more seamless. It's formal. Uh, when previously it had been uh, kind of an ad hoc uh, piece with external affairs. And so now having ESF-14 as a formal place is something that really helps achieve better operational effectiveness. Uh, you know, the last couple disasters, uh, actually the last year with, uh, you know, more robust activation of the National Business Emergency Operations Center has really brought CISA into the forefront uh, with disasters. How has that changed your mission at all? 
So I think it's changed some of the focus. I mean, FEMA gave us an immense honor uh, by uh, making us the coordinator for ESF-14. Uh, we feel that it's appropriate with the cyber and the infrastructure security mission that we have and really highlights some of the analytical capability. And what that does is it really gives federal uh, government decision makers uh, the, the best set of data to have the most informed decision so that we can apply the right resource uh, to the right problem set to get the maximum effectiveness uh, during that disaster response. Um, so we're in the midst of hurricane season. So what is CISA focused on right now? Uh, we're focused on continuing to support FEMA uh, through ESF-14. Uh, you know, the preparedness, the, the, the readiness that we need to have to make sure that we're ready to support FEMA, the lead agency for disaster response, uh, is most appropriately. And so we've seen a couple of examples with Tropical Storm Barry. Uh, that was uh, kind of a small uh, event that we supported. But we saw some good uh, use of the National Critical Functions, the National Risk Management Center, and really providing value-added briefings, which also include that piece from the National Business Emergency Operations Center. So really operating as one entity, uh, so ESF-14 is doing the best job that it can. Okay, tropical shipping, Jennifer Nugent-Hill. So for the people who don't know what tropical shipping does or what the company uh, is, tell me a little bit about that. So tropical shipping is uh, one of the second largest um, cargo carrier out of the port of uh, Palm Beach in Florida to the Caribbean. And um, we are in the space of uh, logistics and transportation. We've been, uh, we always say that our highway to the Caribbean is, starts in Canada to Guyana, because we go to just about every island in the Caribbean, moving significant amount of cargo. The Caribbean represents the sixth largest trading partner for the U.S. It's worth almost $60 billion. A lot of folks don't know that, but that's the U.S. Department of uh, uh, Census about the value of the Caribbean to our country. And, uh, and so we're pleased that our company has been in business for 50 years serving the Caribbean uh, through every single kind of natural disaster you can think about. We've seen the hurricanes all, uh, and we've also seen other natural disasters uh, such as uh, earthquake, volcanoes, uh, floodings, the fires. And um, we've taken this as a personal part of what we do for the people of the Caribbean by being engaged in disaster resiliency. We've worked with FEMA, NORTHCOM, SOUTHCOM and a lot of those initiatives and we participate in a lot of the exercises that our country participates with the Caribbean. So um, I'm all about disaster resiliency and um, it's ironic that the strategic initiative for FEMA, uh, number one, is that culture preparedness. It has been the theme of the workshops we've been doing since Hurricane Hugo tore up the U.S. Virgin Islands about the culture preparedness. In our position, it's always about how do we save lives, but also how do we get those countries to be back up and running, because it represents significant partnership for our country uh, here in the U.S. Well, I mean, it goes without saying that the work that you do, that moving um, supplies, resupplies to all of the um, Caribbean nations. That's correct. It's just critical to all of the lifeline sectors. Absolutely. Um, that are going on there. Yes, yes. Um, so... You know, just going back to 2017, obviously, oh, that is still, <laughs> still something that every, you know, we are all talking about. Of course. Um, the response and the recovery, what we can learn from it. What was your experience going through those, uh, those hurricane seasons? Well, um, living in Florida, obviously, we are going to be impacted by, by the hurricanes. Uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico are a significant part of our company. So for us, uh, both uh, Irma and Maria as two Category 5s within two weeks and creating such a devastating impact on, on Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands was deeply 
uh, important for us because we knew we were part of the lifeline. We were part of the logistics and transportation. I think our relationship with, uh, with FEMA and in particular the NBEOC uh, gave us what I think a lot of folks don't always have because they're not aware of what I call those B2B meetings, hearing um, partners that are affected by the disaster. And then most importantly, how do we get engaged with the response uh, uh, and recovery to get the emergency supplies uh, to the U.S. Virgin Islands and to Puerto Rico? Uh, we saw it firsthand. And I think one of the strengths that being a cargo carrier is that the islands are so dependent on imports and especially to bring those relief supplies in and knowing that the ports were affected. The ports in St. Thomas and St. Croix were significantly impacted. But because of how we have built that resiliency through our partnerships with the Coast Guard, with FEMA, of course, uh, and, and as well as the local government, we are part of their private public relationships. So we were able to prepare ahead of the storms. Uh, and those are some of the things that we've learned. And 2017 was a game changer. Two Cat 5 back-to-back forces us to even rethink how our own resiliency as a company, uh, uh, whether we prepared or some things we threw out the window. And there are some things that we now know we have to do differently. I want to I want to let you get back to uh, this this conference. There's a lot of great um, panels coming up. Yeah. Um, what when you leave here today, what are you focused on? What's your number one priority? My priority is talking about the resources that are across federal agencies and how we can, as a business, support removing the complexity of the responses uh, across the uh, various government agencies. We can't have FEMA coordinating the efforts, and then you have, um, for example, the... Um, uh, the agency that governs rules and regulations not ensuring, and, and it just slipped my mind, which, 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 which I was referring to. But, but if we're going to talk about this culture preparedness, then I think it has to start here. And so I'm hoping when I leave here, uh, building codes will not be different across uh, the nation. Uh, building codes will have common threads depending on the location, which state is affected, and what are the rules in that uh, area, and that businesses will find themselves being welcomed to the table in a true private-public partnership. That's what I'm looking for. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So w- uh, one entity that is here that we haven't really talked to yet is uh, somebody who represents companies. So Healthcare Ready, Nicolette Lewis-Saint, uh, I know you're really busy, but you know, this is an amazing opportunity for companies, but also nonprofits to collaborate. Uh, what are you hoping to get out of this conference? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Um, this is a great conference for us to think about um, the intersections as it pertains to disaster preparedness and response. And to me, nowhere is that more clear than when you think about healthcare and public health. So thinking about maintaining public health and safety um, and, and sustaining public health in the context of the disaster requires healthcare. It requires requires the private sector. Um, And for an organization like ours, this is really the opportunity to not just talk to our partners in government, but also talk to the other companies and other private sector partners that play a role in that. So thinking about reaching out to our comms partners, our power folks, um, all the way down to, um, you know, ride sharing companies that play a large role in helping us move patients during events as well. So, uh, you know, let's just jump back a second. So healthcare ready, what is it that you're actually doing? Um, in peacetime, 
but also during disasters. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's typically how I explain it. So Healthcare Ready is a national nonprofit organization that was established after Hurricane Katrina. And the reason that we were created is because there needed to be a public-private partnership focused on the healthcare supply chain. So when you're thinking about how healthcare is delivered in the disaster context, that requires medicines, it requires syringes, it requires physicians, it requires pharmacists. Um, And all of those facilities that those people work in and all of those facilities that are delivering care require things. Um, And those things are private sector owned and managed. And so our role is to really serve as that linkage between public and private in that space. And so for us, it is about making sure that In the peacetime, we're building the preparedness plans that identify what part of the supply chain would be impacted and a plan to actually coordinate um, and share information appropriately with our government partners and be able to resolve the challenges that we see downrange at the last mile to make sure that healthcare can continue to be delivered. And you know that that collaboration with um, the public sector, you're in a little bit of a unique position because a lot of the companies we talk to, they're very much involved with the emergency management side of things working with FEMA, but you're also working with HHS, yes. Health and Human Services. Tell me about about how you work with them during disasters. Absolutely. Um, and so with our organization, we actually plan to support both um, HHS and FEMA during responses, making sure that they are getting information as it pertains to ESF-8, healthcare and public health, or the health and medical lifeline, um, understanding what the status of healthcare facilities are. We are reporting on the RX Open Map, which actually shows the status of about 95% of all pharmacies in a disaster zone, U.S. and U.S. territories. Um, but we're actually going a little bit deeper than that. So for HHS, they're looking at what's happening at the particular facility. They know what hospitals are open and closed. They know what clinics might be doing. But we're able to give them the visibility on the supply chain that's supporting those so that they can look not just at the immediate state, but also a few days down to say, okay, they're stable now, but what's it going to take to keep them stable? And with FEMA, we're, we're doing something similar, but we're doing it on a bit more of a macro to be able to actually think about the priorities for the health and medical lifeline and where that fits in the hierarchy of needs in that current disaster context. So saying healthcare and medical is currently stable However, we are going to be dependent on power restoration in the next 72 hours. How is that going? That's a FEMA question. Can I, can I pull that thread just a little sure. bit? You know, you know, because this year we updated the national response framework to include the community lifelines mm-hmm. um, concept and then the toolkit release. Um, so how has that impacted things? So for us, it is um, clarifying in a particular way. I think we have partners that are in other um, support functions that probably have struggled a bit more to figure out exactly where they fit because they are cross-cutting. But by creating a health and medical lifeline, what it essentially does, it, it prevents organizations like us from having to say, we do ESF-8, which is healthcare and public health, and a little bit of ESF-6, which is mass care. We're able to just clarify the focus to health and medical needs, whether that be in a pharmacy a hospital, a stopping point where a truck can't get through that has medical supplies or a shelter. Um, But also I think the opportunity that is presented for us is to be able to identify what really matters in lifeline restoration. So with this opportunity to really think about the health and medical lifeline, where we've dug a little deeper is to say, what matters?
matters. So we can report things, but are those things that we can report what actually matters to getting the lifeline fully restored after an event? So should we be counting everything as it pertains to open, closed for all types of facilities? Should we be looking at supply chain activities? Should we be looking at patient or public health outcomes? Or should we look at all of it? Um, So that's really the opportunity that's been presented for us on, on the community lifeline approach. So question of the day, everybody gets this. When you leave here today, what is, what is your number one priority? What do you focus on? When I leave here today, um, my, my biggest priority is making sure that we are working together. Um, and like you said, in peacetime as well as in a disaster. So it's thinking about how to not... Um, become a deeper silo in health and medical or ESF-8, um, but really being able to make sure that we're using, whether it's ESF-14, this cross-sector co- coordination um, support function, or just opportunities like this event to better work across sectors, um, whether it be public sector partners or private sector partners, so that we actually are fully integrated before the next crisis. Um, Bob Ottenhoff from the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. So, Bob, what does the Center for Disaster Philanthropy do? Sure. Uh, American corporations and foundations and individuals give hundreds of millions of dollars every year to disasters. And we try to help particularly corporations and foundations be more strategic and more intentional with their dollars. Our research shows that philanthropic dollars are given in about the one month after a disaster. There's this huge outpouring of very generous support, but it's only for a very short period of time. And uh, then it quickly dwindles away. And there's very little money given to planning, preparation, mitigation, and also very little money given to long-term recovery. So part of our long-term goal at the center is to try to get donors, philanthropic donors, to be more strategic and think about the full lifestyle, the the full life cycle of disasters. And your organization is not, is is it holding the money and then dispersing it, or are you just sort of providing strategic guidance on how to? Well, all of the above. Oh. Um, So we provide consulting services to corporations and foundations. We manage funds. So a lot of times a corporation or a foundation will say, we want to do something and we've got to do it right away. But, but we don't know what to do. Yep. And so th- by putting the money into one of our funds that we manage, we'll then commit to spending it for mid to long term recovery. So anywhere from three months to 18 months out. And we'll focus on vulnerable populations. And part of what we try to do is learn what FEMA is doing, learn what other um, Uh, government agencies are doing because the philanthropic dollars, although relatively small when compared to what FEMA does, are really strategic. We can be more flexible. We can be more patient. We can take more risks. So we try to be really strategic with those those philanthropic dollars. So here at this conference, um, there's obviously a lot of companies here. What's your, what, what are you hoping to get out of this conference? Well, first of all, the fact that we're all talking about resilience is just music to our ears. Um, that's what we're hoping to hear more of. Um, I think corporations are um, ahead of foundations in thinking about this because corporations have employees and they have customers, and they have supply chains. So they've been thinking about this for a little while. 
foundations tend to just have a bunch of money that they have to give away. They don't think in those kind of holistic ways. So it's wonderful to hear corporations who are thinking about how do they engage their employees in disaster-related activities? How do they think about um, where they site their facilities? And how do they get back up? One of the things I think is often lacking in, in, in these discussions about disaster is the, um, the economic implications. You know, because if uh, the businesses can't open, people can't work. If they can't work, they can't earn money. They begin to move away. The corporate, the businesses in the area suffer, and so it's a downward spiral. And um, so it's good to hear people here talking about how do you get back up on our feet quicker, and how do we make the economics work more effectively after a disaster. So the the main question here, what are you focused on as we continue into hurricane season? What's your main priority? We're trying to get people to plan, to think about it. I spoke before our group uh, this morning, and I said, you know, the time to begin planning is right now, right? Do you have a plan for your corporation and for your community? Do you have a process in place? So often people wait until the disaster happens, and then, then they don't know what to do. So planning preparedness is very much on our minds. And we're also uh, experimenting in a number of communities of how do we build more resilient communities? Since we know disasters are gonna happen, what can we be doing right now to um, help those communities withstand the disaster a little bit better and be able to bounce back quicker? Yet another friend of the FEMA podcast, Greg Forrester, the president and CEO of the National VOAD, the Voluntary Organizations Active in Disasters. So, Greg, we've, we've talked to a number of different people from, uh, obviously, the private sector for this Building Resilience um, Conference, but also nonprofits and philanthropy. Um, so it's good to hear you, to have you here. What do you hope to achieve from a conference like this? Well, for us, it takes all three areas, actually, to do effective recovery, response and recovery when it comes to disaster. We have to have the the business sector uh, as a participant. We have to work with government, and you have to bring in your nonprofit partners in order to go ahead and make it really work. Uh, You lose any one of those, and uh, community recovery is going to take a lot longer, uh, or it may not exist at all. Um, Without uh, The businesses can return, but if their employees have nowhere to live, it's not going to be effective. If government resources that come in to assist those communities aren't used effectively in order to restore the whole community, then we've got a gap. And so for us, uh, to be here is uh, just part of who we are and what we need to do in order to go ahead and make those relationships work. Yeah, So, but you're not just in D.C. here for um, this conference. You're also here later in the week. You're going to be participating in FEMA's Partnership Day. Tell me about that. It is. So we've, uh, we've worked with the chamber here and with FEMA to make this the, the National Week of Disaster Management uh, in partnership. And so what we're doing it tomorrow, we actually meet with FEMA and a number of our member agencies will be there. In fact, about 60 of them uh, from the National VOAD. Uh, we'll be at FEMA headquarters and displaying some of the equipment that we bring to the uh, to the engagement, uh, along with uh, having tabletop discussions and uh, building relationships within the FEMA family. Uh, and so it's it's so important for us when we respond in the field. We're doing that alongside of our federal partners, alongside of our state partners, and alongside of business. When you leave this uh, event today and then Partnership Day, and you go uh, back to work, what's the main focus for you? 
So for me, it, it's been fun. The, the one we haven't just mentioned, too, is the, the military family that's here this week. Uh, and so taking it from the military, I call this a target-rich environment, uh, where uh, having everybody in one place where we can actually exchange our business cards, we can have the conversations we need to have so when disaster does strike, uh, we already know each other and we can be a lot more effective. So for me, leaving from here is to follow up on all those contacts. Because it's one thing to put the card in your pocket. It's another actually to build the relationship. You've got to do a lot more work in order to make that trust factor work. So for me, it's always a matter of taking what I've, the business cards in my pocket, uh, making the phone call to follow up and say, hey, let's, let's further this conversation that we started while we were meeting in D.C. So, and finally, FEMA's private sector office, Rob Glenn. You know, we've talked to so many amazing uh, emergency managers from private sector, nonprofits, philanthropy. Um, you know, this has been a remarkable conference. What are you hoping, from FEMA's perspective, that um, all of the participants are walking away from this with? You know, first of all, when you have a conference like this, you want uh, people to walk away feeling good. We actually want to meet the mail, right? I mean, you don't want to fail. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, walking away from the conference, we definitely want some next steps. Uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, if a company is a major player in their community, are they dialoguing with their local emergency manage, uh, manager uh, uh, for the national companies that may not have uh, been as committed as previous on specific issues like with a strategic plan? We want them to be our partner in that. Uh, and the, you know, the whole theme is, you know, private-public partnerships. And so anything that we can do to strengthen those, uh, that's, that's really what we want out of this. Do you see conferences like this as an opportunity for sort of a gut check for FEMA, make sure we're on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, this is the eighth year that we've done this conference. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we've been working with the Chamber of Commerce and a and, uh, number of other partners, including uh, NORAD Northcom. Uh, and our and our and, and uh, DHS as well, uh, you know, as a component. You know, you have those. You have you you build trust with your partners, right? I mean, that's really what makes a partner. You have an element of trust, and so as you build uh, and forge that trust operationally, or you know, just even programmatically, to have those hallway conversations that you really can't replicate anywhere else. You know, people will say things in person that they won't say over the phone. Um, but at least people are being forthright and honest with you about what we can do better. Uh, and certainly, you know, we really took that to heart, you know, in 2017, we did the AAR on the hurricanes and wildfires. And so from, from that standpoint, it, you know, we're hearing some things that we do really well and also some things that, you know, maybe we should make some adjustments to. So it's, it, it's you know, that's, this is not just a, a one-way conversation with people on stage. You know, the real action is, you know, the networking that occurs in between breaks and things like that. So one of the conversation pieces, points that we've had, uh, you know, throughout our conversations is the aspect of the National Business Emergency Operations Center and how it's evolving. I mean, it's been very active over the last couple uh, hurricane seasons, years, actually. And so how do you, from your perspective, see that um, having benefited operational resilience for the private sector as well as uh, just the coordination from FEMA? Yeah, so... In 2012, uh, the National BEOC was started, and and that was just a, largely a reaction to, uh, you know, business emergency operations centers being at the state level and really wanting to uh, understand and align, you know, what we were doing with the private sector. A- as we've been moving forward, uh, you know, in, in a real operational sense, um, we've seen um, us making connections for the private sector. Uh, we've seen the private sector... 
raise issues, uh, whether it's production, manufacturing, how do we help uh, get uh, certain sites online. Um, we've also, you know, uh, looked at the private sector supply chain. Uh, why would we want to, for example, uh, uh, you know, ship uh, water or other commodities when they could be procured locally or manufactured locally or regionally? And so, so from that standpoint, uh, it's a real win-win for FEMA and for the private sector. Uh, we, you know, growing the NBOC. You know, when I first uh, started, when I first started the job. I think we had maybe 100 NBEOC members. Now we're over 800. Uh, and you know, during uh, during periods of activation, we'll have nearly 700 different businesses on on the line, uh, share information, but um, but also uh, to affirm that we are headed in the right direction operationally, which is also encouraging. And, and that is a feedback that previously, you know, FEMA never really had before. You think back to Katrina, that didn't exist. So, you know, this has been an, an amazing couple of days, and uh, it's been great hearing from all of our partners. So as we leave the conference here, uh, what do you see are additional opportunities to advance the goals in the strategic plan? You know, specifically building a culture of preparedness and readying the nation for catastrophic events. Um, you know, in some cases, I suppose that there's opportunities for... Um, reducing the complexities of FEMA and its programs. But I think readying the nation seems like it jumps out as an obvious theme here. Yeah, there's a, there's a, lot, there's a lot to do. You know, you think about how uh, disaster management in the United States, from our standpoint at FEMA, is federally supported, state-managed, and locally executed. The private sector, you know, is that connective tissue, actually, across all of those different layers. So when you think about building a culture preparedness, uh, you know, we're, we're talking with a number of companies um, that have the best, most creative minds. Um, you're also looking at companies um, that have stated within their their goals that they want to build a prepared workforce because the more prepared your workforce, certainly you can reopen your stores after disaster, but that also means that um, you're contributing back to the community. And that, and for businesses, they are part of the community. Uh, and, and so from that standpoint, I think that is um, uh, within that first goal, that, that, that's an opportunity. The second goal is catastrophic readiness, right? So when you think about the dynamic threats that we face as, an, as a nation, um, you know, it, is in the, it is in the private sector's interest um, to really look at what they can do and what they can't do. And where, where they can't, they need a partner partner with us as a federal government, partner with states, partner with their local emergency management, um, but also partner with each other uh, as they look at rounding out their own capability set for business continuity and crisis management. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast. Podcast.